Hello and welcome everybody to this week's edition of Truth to Power here on your community radio station, Forward Radio. We're broadcasting from the top of the historic Hayburn building at 106.5 FM and we live stream to the world at forwardradio.org. Maybe you're listening to us there online and want to become a part of this station. Maybe you want to get behind these microphones, either maybe a guest on this program itself, Truth to Power, or maybe you want to start a new weekly program or or do a one-time access hour on a topic of interest to you well this is your community radio station you can make it all happen today by going to forwardradio.org clicking on participate and letting us know how you want to get involved we also rely entirely on your support uh, listeners make this station possible we don't just need you tuning in we need you chipping in and you can do that at forwardradio.org by clicking on the donate button the amazing thing about the station is that with all the volunteer power it only takes twenty dollars a day to keep us going and so maybe you could sponsor an entire day's broadcast today with the change in your couch. Think about that, folks. Uh, go to FordRadio.org and, and become a part of this radio magic. My name is Justin Mogg. Uh, I'm host of the program Sustainability Now, and I'm excited to have uh, three other friends here in the virtual studio with us tonight uh, to talk about President-elect Biden's climate plan. Uh, I'm sure it's been in the news a little bit. We're hearing more and more about what Biden has planned as uh, finally uh, the Trump man steps aside. Uh, we don't know exactly how this transition of power is going to happen, but it, it seems more likely every day that it actually will happen. Some of us are kind of holding our breath. But we're, what we're going to talk about specifically today is uh, what we what we foresee pot happening with uh, Biden and the climate crisis. And with me to discuss this really important topic is Hart Hagen, as usual, host of the Climate Report. How are you doing this evening, Hart? Hi, Justin. Great. How are you? Oh, it's great to have you with us. And uh, two new folks for the show. We're really excited to have on Doug Lowry. Welcome, Doug. Thank you. Glad to be here. Doug is uh, a part of uh, Ford Radio's proud community partner, the Sowers of Justice Network. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about Sowers and what they do? Sure. Sowers of Justice Network is an interfaith justice coalition, and one of our key drivers of Ethical action is environmental sustainability, right. racial justice, and nonviolence. And nonviolence doesn't just mean people, it means violence to the earth. And climate change policy is an important part of people who have an active faith life and are active in their communities. They want to know not only what to think, but what to do and how do we make a difference for our planet. And of course, that's just one of many of Doug's hats. Uh, we won't go into all of them, but you're you're welcome to bring any of them into the conversation at, at any time, Doug. Doug Doug helps make a better Louisville tomorrow and a better world tomorrow uh, every single day in so many ways. I, we're really excited to have him on the show today. Uh, also on in in the studio with us is Jeanette Westbrook, a volunteer here at Forward Radio from way back in the beginning. At the our very early days, she hosted a show called The Human Factor, and we keep trying to get her on the air all the time. So it's great to have you back, Jeanette. Welcome. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> my pleasure. My pleasure always. Forward Radio, the people's voice. Uh, yes. Yes, absolutely. And uh, yes, when I'm talking about climate change tonight and Biden's really ambitious plan. It's really refreshing to have an elected official with a plan. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's just amazing. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it. No, I don't think that all of it is doable, but 
I do think that uh, we have a plan and is putting it on the radar for all of us to be thinking about. And quite frankly, I don't think that's too far out, given that half of California was burning up. Mm, right. Summer, the most ever hurricanes in the Atlantic. <laughs> Still going, right? <laughs> yeah, just... another one. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's November. Uh, so almost December. Yeah. So uh, the devastation that took place in so many countries, there's been so much happening. How about the typhoon, <laughs> you know, there in the Philippines? What an environmental nightmare that is. Not to mention the Amazon is still on fire. Yeah. Still. So well, we've got a lot on our plate, but, you know, in talking about climate, I have something kind of really radical. And you can ask me about that in your show, what I really think we're going to have to do. Ooh, okay. Okay. That's a nice teaser, Jeanette. Uh, <laughs> so if folks want to play along at home and uh, check out Joe Biden's uh, climate plan, it's uh, simple to find it online at joebiden.com slash climate climate dash plan it's called the biden plan for a clean energy revolution and environmental justice um i think i i mean we've we're going to dive into the details but just off the bat i'm glad to see those two things are highlighted at the very top of biden's plan we can't move forward without switching over to renewable energy as rapidly as possible. But we also absolutely need environmental justice. We need to stop dumping on people who are already marginalized and already suffering. In fact, a lot of uh, folks are starting to make the argument that the only reason we have a climate crisis or pollution at all is because of racism or classism or casteism, some kind of ism where polluters are willing to make other people suffer because they think less of them. And that we're, we see it here in Louisville, right? When we talk about environmental justice issues in Louisville and all of the pollution concentrated around Rubbertown and the West End, uh, the, you know, the coal ash piles blowing on, on our neighbors, right? Who we value less. Um, what do you all think about that? This important tie between justice and pollution? I couldn't agree more. Uh, to me, the, the reason we have a climate crisis is plutocracy, the rule of money, and the solution is democracy. So, you know, racism and slavery emerged from, you know, you, you just want, you want to make money and you want to exploit people in the process. You're going to exploit nature in the process and you're going to exploit democratic institutions in the process. Those are the big three, uh, in my view, the big three things that people do when they make a lot of money and they say, oh, we're creating all this value. No, you're stealing value from people, from nature, and from democratic institutions. So I couldn't agree more that the root of the climate problem is, uh, you know, exploitation of all types, not least of all, uh, you know, you have slavery. And so slavery was profitable. Therefore, they had to develop an ideology that justified slavery. Therefore, that's where, uh, you know, racism was very practical from a standpoint of the people at the top who were making a killing from it. Mm. I'd like to add to that. Uh, it's like uh, the plantation where the slaves are in the shack that's just falling down with just, you know, 
no bare necessities. And we see that in colonialism in our own city in the West End, where we have housing that is less than substandard. And it's the broken window syndrome mm. that, that we have down there where you have a community that's environmentally devastated and that has a, a very negative impact on the emotional and psychological well-being of the people in that community. I think the colonial, this is Doug Lowry, I think the colonial word is the right word. We don't look at the earth as a partner. We don't look at the air as a partner. We don't look at the water as a partner. We don't look at other people as partners that we coexist on the planet with. We look at them as things that we can move around or change in some way to create wealth for some, but not wealth for all at the risk of everyone's health. Um, so no one is paying the true cost of this sort of ongoing rampant colonialism. Uh, Jeff Bezos being a trillionaire is as much the part of the problem as people who don't have enough. Um, I think in West Louisville, you'll hear a lot of residents in West Louisville talk about gentrification. And gentrification is a symptom of a racial justice problem that there are no good answers to unless right. you gentrify people. Um, and that whole word is just so loaded with colonial bullcrap. Um, people are valuable regardless of where they live, the color of their skin, the, their nation of origin, their gender and all of that. But how do we make that possible in West Louisville when people are excruciatingly poor don't have the same access to educational outcomes that their peers in other parts of the county do. How do we make it possible for people in West Louisville and others to not only escape environmental degradation, but to mm -hmm. build a future that's good for them and good for all of us? So we, we talk about sort of getting things back, undoing things the Trump administration has done, uh, through all of the corporate leases that it's made to, on federal lands and lax rules for corporations. But we haven't done a lot of talking about reparations for people who currently suffer and have suffered right. for a long time. So when we talk about investing in green jobs, it's not fair to talk about what the future looks like without paying some of our debts first. And we owe a huge debt uh, to Native people and to Black people for mm. what was taken and ha still has not been paid for that, that we owe quite a bit of debt for. And that's not just talk. You know, a lot of people like to talk about that. We need to put some feet on that. And mm. if there is a climate action plan, it needs to be a reparational plan that helps people who have had wealth and labor stolen from them, who've had the ability to build wealth stolen from them, built baked into this pie. So as we start talking about policy, if it's not good for black, brown, and bronze people, it's not a good plan. Mm. Yeah, no, I, I I totally hear you, and and there is sort of this um, short term or short, yeah, short term issue and long term one. We 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 have this short term issue of we need to undo all the damage Trump has done in the last four years. Uh -huh. <laughs> like yeah. like we know 
we've got to like restore our U.S. participation in in global climate talks and return to the Paris Accord, right? And Biden has pledged to do that on day one. Uh, we know that we've got to let the EPA use the word climate crisis, right, and and put it back on their website uh, and and start thinking about carbon as a pollutant. Uh, you know these basic things that. Uh, Trump has undone in the last four years. But you're absolutely right, Doug, to touch on the fact that that's not the only thing that's broken. There was so much broken and so much that needs to be restored uh, long before Trump ever came along. And so this is actually a marathon rather than a sprint. And and uh, four or eight years of Biden is definitely not going to get us where we need to be. But uh, I, I think we're all hopeful that perhaps we can make a good start here. Uh, you know, there's been uh, calls amongst the more progressive left uh, for since before Trump, right, for a Green New Deal. And uh, and I know that, Hart, you've talked a lot about this on your programs. Uh, I think during the campaign, uh, Biden well, the, the the conservatives were trying to like peg Biden as a Green New Dealer, uh, and certainly Kamala Harris as well. Uh, and the Green New Deal might be parts of the Biden plan, but he's pretty much said, "I'm not going to pass a Green New Deal." Right? Yeah, it, it, it's confusing because here's Biden in the debate. <laughs> uh, he said, uh, "The Green New Deal is a good idea. Are you for it?" No. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I'm not going to ever disapprove any fracking. <laughs> right, right. And uh, yeah, uh, the, you know, we're we're all fracking all the time. Uh, so <laughs> uh, anyway, in the in Biden's climate plan, he says the Green New Deal is a great framework for such and such. He said he doesn't say he's for it. He just says it's a it's a good you know framework. So, uh, you know, one way to I think to clear up the confusion is to say, there's a Green New Deal and then there's green capitalism. And uh, I don't believe in green capitalism. I think, you know, if you, and a lot of Biden's climate plan is incentivizing capitalists to do things like, you know, we're going to incentivize people to do this and that and this and that. And all that is at best a medium priority as opposed to the top priorities. To me, the top priorities are like, you know, there, there, we have physical obstacles and political obstacles. So mm. climate change at its core is a physical phenomenon. Mm. And then when it comes to solving the problem, we have political obstacles on the way to doing that. So the reason we can get obsessed on medium priorities is, uh, you know, medium priorities to me are solar power and and wind power and, and electric vehicles, you know, we can do all of that. But if we're consuming twice as much energy, uh, a few years, if we continue to consume more and more and more energy, then we're not going to win this game. No. So we have to consume much less energy. Uh, and it's been it something I really like, it's been suggested that um, that instead of having a carbon tax, we have an energy tax mm. so that we, you know, we it's incentivizes people to consume less energy. I call it artificially produced energy. But in the meantime, we're obsessing on these medium priorities. You know, solar is a good, solid medium priority. We should move forward with that. But, uh, we, we, you know, it, it doesn't do any good to put all of that on steroids and neglect the, the things that you know, are the low hanging fruit. So the low hanging fruit, in my view, is like, uh, you know, move quickly to regenerative agri agriculture. That's one thing. Another low hanging fruit is stop deforestation. Stop. 
deforestation. Another yeah, low-hanging yeah. fruit is, can we talk about not manufacturing new cars, or at least you know, reduce <laughs> the manufacture of cars by 90%, uh, reduce the manufacture of new airplanes by 90%. Instead, we're talking about more fuel efficient airplanes, or you know, we could even develop an electric airplane at some point. But well, you know, and it was Biden and Obama who saved the auto industry in America, right? Like right. they're very, mm -hmm. very proud of that. Yeah. Uh, so these, these would be considered way outside of the Biden plan. These kinds of ideas. Yeah. Now, right. Anything that offends, anything that offends capital and offends plutocrats is going to be way outside of Biden's plan. This is Doug. Uh, I mean, what I would add in there is to stop building things. We exactly, have enough right. land. Right that has right. already been cleared. We need to think about what the world is gonna look like 20 years from now. The amount of food that the world needs today is not enough. And I mean, it is, but it isn't, depending on how the food is produced and delivered. But think about a world 20 years from now where you have billions more people in a world that's hotter, flatter, drier, more people moving away from the coast. So people are gonna be pushed up against each other. And we really need to think if America wants to be a leader in the future, part of our strategic plan for national defense and homeland security is basic. It's food and water. Mm. And how are we going to promote and keep arable land every day? It's not just deforestation, but arable land is disappearing at an incredible pace. I thought security was all about bombs. <laughs> well, yes, it is. It's all about bombs. Um, that's important. Um, but I really think that we can think about Kentucky um, as far as a percentage. We are a semi-rural state. There are a lot of Southern states that really need a, a different economic model. What's great about a presidential plan is that it gets passed through Congress and our Congressman uh, Yarmouth is uh, uh, the budget person. So we as a people who care about climate change should be lobbying him assertively the same way that other national groups assertively inserted themselves into our senatorial race and say, climate emergency is real. We want to be an experiment. We want to take money. We, we take in a lot of money from other people's tax dollars to support people in eastern, western, southern, and northern Kentucky. So we don't pay that much in taxes. We get a lot back. But let's think about how we change the conditions for people in our society so that people don't have to live in a city. They don't have to work at a low wage minimum job. Let's promote jobs that allow people, black or white, black or brown, Hispanic speaking, English, whatever, that they have the ability to accrue wealth. But the touchstone, the keystone is, is it damaging to the environment or not? And be thinking about how the dollars we spend today create wealth 50 years from now in a world that really is going to need us not to be a leader in bombs, but a, a leader in a different type of agricultural production. We need to be. We don't know how to be. A, we, we don't know. How, we, that, bombs is what we know. Bombs is what <laughs> we do. We've been at war every year since the founding of our republic. It's what we do best. Mm. Well, I'd like to do, uh, do a segue on what Doug was talking about, about building more. And also, just what you said, Hart, what we have done is, is let loose an environmental bomb on the West End, where it's just been completely devastated. And to the end, what Doug was talking about, 
as far as stop building something. Well, one of the things in the West End is that we have all of this vacant property that is owned by out-of-state attorneys, most of it. Mm. So they take tax write-offs on it and don't maintain uh, the housing. So I have asked the mayor personally, right up front in person, I want him to take eminent domain Mm. over all of those vacant properties, immediately turn them over to Habitat for Humanity, and let's get people into housing because so much, so many negative things happen because of lack of decent housing. And that includes pollution. If you don't have decent housing and you're in a marginalized community where you may have a garbage pickup and maybe you mm. won't have garbage pickup and the broken window syndrome where you're just dumping all around. And what we know about the West End, it's really people from outside of the West End that come with truck truckloads of stuff and dump it yeah. in the alleys in the West End. Now, Biden says in his plan, there are two things I'd like to read in his plan. Stand up to the abuse of power mm. by polluters who disappropriately harm communities of color and low-income communities and fulfill our obligation to workers and communities who powered our industrial revolution and subsequent decades of economic growth. Mm. Yes, we owe that to these communities. And why do we need to go and just flatten the whole West End and then spend all the energy and building things again, as Doug was talking about, all the energy it takes to completely rebuild? And why are we not rehabbing? Because one thing we do know, that when you take old buildings and rehab them, it has an effect of a spreading out through the entire community. And uh, it's like this bird on the back here, a a bird of paradise, rising from the flames, Mm. okay, and spurring economic growth. And more importantly, where people feel part of a community. How can you feel part of a community when you are paying astronomical rent for a substandard housing and you don't have an American piece of the pie. You don't have a piece of the pie. You don't even have a sliver of the pie. Mm. So if we have Habitat for Humanity and take eminent domain of those properties and get people into rehabbed, decent housing, we will see a rebirth. And we will see less economic damage because when you own a home and you have a piece of that pie, you're planting a tree, you're planting yeah. your, your your shrubs and, uh, oh, here's a vacant lot. Let's go ahead and put a community garden in yeah. springing up all over the West End. OK, so I think we have to start with our small postage stamp here in our own community and communicate with Biden and his plan and say, Mr. President, 
we have a marginalized community here that has been redlined mm-hmm. for decades and decades. And we need these properties rehabbed. And I, what I would like to see is what we had in the 70s, where we had funds of money that can be uh, marshaled and put into rehabilitation of existing properties so we don't have to recreate. Uh, We have the bones here. Mm. What's problem is that we don't have any meat on these bones. (laughs) Well, I love that idea about using eminent domain for good. When's the last time that happened? (laughs) Uh, I mean, (laughs) Uh, yes. So eminent domain for a pipeline, right? (laughs) Right. Eminent domain for decent housing. Yeah, come on. If LGE can get it to run a the pipeline through Burnham. Coalition is already doing some assessment of vacant properties. And one of the big ideas in West Louisville is to have market gardens. So there are enough empty lots from 9th Street all the way down around the river. There are big lots that could be turned into production economic enterprise. A lot of the problems locally really are zoning problems. Um, certain types of enterprises they don't want, they don't want them to be zoned. It's easier for an out-of-town company than an in-town resident to get entrepreneurial dollars in that actually help with economic vibrancy. So I think we have to think about, you know, not only where people live, but what people eat and how that food gets here. You know, if we really want to model a new future, we have to change what we drive, we have to change what we build, but we really need to change what we eat. And I think Louisville has the opportunity and Kentucky as a state has the opportunity to become the salad bowl of the nation. Let somebody else be the bread box of the nation. Let's be the <laughs> salad bowl of the nation. Doug, don't Let's, you know that we were made to import our vegetables from California? It was, it's, that's like in Genesis. I think that's written plan. into the Constitution. What, what really makes you crazy is when you go to any of the local supermarkets, and it's not just from California. It's not just from Florida. It's from it's from another continent. And you know, <laughs> right. Is that? But the opportunity for us really is to think about how we nourish ourselves. It's not fair for us to have a system that is still colonial and that it empowers people who have more money than somebody else to steal our collective wealth and haul it away to another community. That's a form of economic theft that we don't talk a lot about, but is hugely important in communities that have been redlined where they don't have any possibility of accruing wealth. They can't even pay their rent. So if we're, you know, in this post-COVID-19 world, anything's possible. You know, we can pass, we can borrow billions and trillions of dollars from the future. If we're going to borrow trillions of dollars, let's put that money in things like free education and buying. I would like to see everybody in Louisville who needs a home to have a home that the government provides. Let's provide everybody a home and see how much less money we spend on jails, police, prisons, incarceration, the whole judicial system. Mental health. We spend so much money on things that have very little impact on the future good and honestly do really not that good for today's good. We want to pick up the phone in 911 so many situations, but we don't really have a mindset to deal with slow emergencies. This housing crisis, this post-COVID housing crisis is, is a slow emergency that's gonna come a big emergency. And it's gonna take some grand scale experiments. 
we might be wrong about some of the things we do, but let's offer, since we already get more money from the federal government than we put in, let's be willing to be guinea pigs. Let's engage universities. Uh, let's take students from Bellarmine, students from U of L, um, students from Spalding, students from uh, JCTC, whatever. You know, and let's talk about how we as a community can really envision a community that is uh, committed to taking climate action in a way that doesn't just reduce the problem, but creates a future that we want. And I think we want to inspire people. We know we're a hot city. Uh, we have hot, hot concrete wrapping through the West End. There's this huge piece of property that I want to take that's in West Louisville. I want to build a park across the interstate. There's a couple of models. You can go to my Facebook page and see what I threw up there. But what if we cooled all the interstate? We have a ton of concrete. What if we built, what if we became a city that, that not only planted lots of trees, but actually grew vines and plants across interstates, across rooftops, across buildings. And some of that can be um, edible. You know, it doesn't all have mm -hmm. to be, but we, we don't understand how quickly the heat effect is driving unsustainable life planet life threatening climate change and we need to be able to say here are models that work you know we can start with baselines uh, of this year and say you know in five years this is how much we reduce the urban heat island effect this is what we did you know we don't really think about the the plants and animals we've killed either we're on a monarch flyway and you know monarchs are kind of the, the canary in the cave these days go ahead yeah, I just want to break in to remind listeners that you're tuned in to Forward Radio 106.5 FM here on Truth to Power, your weekly community conversation about all kinds of uh, issues in the news. We're using today the new President-elect Biden climate plan as a launching pad to discuss all sorts of issues in the environment and justice and how we tackle those. Again, if listeners want to learn more about the Biden plan, it's at joebiden.com slash climate dash plan. Uh, my name is Justin Mogg. With me in the virtual studio for Truth to Power are Hart Hagen from the Climate Report, uh, Jeanette Westbrook, uh, who hosted the Human Factor here on Forward Radio way back in the day, and Doug Lowry from uh, Forward Radio's community partner, uh, Sowers of Justice Network. Um, Hart, do you want to dive into some of the specific elements of the plan and we could critique those? Sure. So let me go through a few of them so we don't get bogged down in any one of them. And then I'll open it up. So, you know, he talks about uh, requiring aggressive methane pollution limits, which is a good idea, but we can talk about how that fits in. Talks about using the federal procurement system, which spends $500 billion a year to drive towards 100% clean energy and zero emissions vehicles. He talks about ensuring that all US government buildings, installations, and facilities are more efficient and climate ready, harnessing the purchasing power and supply chains to drive innovation. Talks about doubling down on liquid fuels of the future. I'm a little bit scared of that. Liquid fuel. <laughs> liquid liquefied fuels. coal. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Let's just liquefy everything and be done with it. Um, so it talks about energy efficient standards for cars, energy efficiency standards for appliances. That, yeah. Talks about committing uh, every committing that every federal infrastructure investment should reduce climate pollution. 
talks about protecting biodiversity by uh, conserving 30% of America's land and waters. And he talks about this whole uh, set of things that are that are uh, recommended by the founding director of ARPA-E, the people that brought you the internet, but also the people that are on busy at work bringing you insect-sized drones. But here we, uh, but they talk about uh, grid-scale storage at one tenth the cost of lithium-ion batteries. Talks about small modular nuclear reactors at half the construction cost of today's reactors. Mm -hmm. um, zero net energy buildings at zero net cost using renewables to produce carbon-free hydrogen at the same cost as that from shale gas. Uh, anyway, decarbonizing industrial, that's kind of some science fiction stuff. But um, <laughs> any, anyway, well, what, but, what are the, but, you know, so let's talk about some of this and I'll share with you some of my concerns about the ideas that sound good, you know. Well, so. can I just tie yeah, in yeah. to what, what Doug was talking about uh, a minute ago? Um, if, if these guidelines for procurement and construction uh, to help drive a more sustainable economy, are those going to apply to our prisons? Because the prisons are now privatized, right? So, uh, well, we don't really control what they do. But imagine, imagine if our prisons were places where people could get fresh local food. <laughs> imagine if our prisons supported the local agricultural economy. Uh, and if you're if you're a listener thinking like, well, the government shouldn't be shouldn't be housing people like like was suggested earlier in this program that the government provide housing for people. Well, you're ignoring our prisons. The government already is housing people. Oh, right. Right? right. And what they're doing is housing them in a really horrific way uh, that is not re rejuvenating them or restoring them in any way. It's the Department of Corrections, but I want to know what they're correcting. <laughs> <laughs> Everything about it seems incorrect to me. Right. But it doesn't have to be this way. Well, I'm, I I'm saw not... every single person coming out of prison for five years. Okay. And in 2010, I'll just give you stats from 2010, because we're backed up to that now, with roughly 26,000 people incarcerated in the state of Kentucky. It costs roughly $25,000 to keep someone in a cage yearly. It's for their own good. <laughs> okay. And if anybody wants to know why we're broke. Yeah. It was <laughs> right. $128 million in 2010. Mm. We also import prisoners from other states into Kentucky to house them here because we're one of the few states that allow these private prisons that are, are very substandard, no GED programs, right. uh, no work programs, no nothing. It's just uh, a humans in a cage. And then uh, they would come out and see me for nine months. And I tell you, when you see somebody several times a week for nine months, you get to really know what, what is, is going on. And of course, the first struggle is, is jobs. But they want jobs with justice, right? Nobody comes out of prison and says, I want to work at Mickey D's. Mm. Okay, because they, they can't support themselves. 
And that hopelessness, because those are the real enemy, helplessness and hopelessness, that is what compels people to look at other avenues as to get their needs met. And many times they're negative avenues. I just want to jump in and say, I mean, we have a huge amount of economic potential that is locked up. There's human potential that is locked up in children who are not educated, in young adults who can't afford a college education, in the incarceration of people who in large are black or Latino or native. Um, And we just need to be able to say, it's not enough for policy on climate change to say, this is what will or won't happen. We Mm. need to talk about how it's gonna happen. Mm. So requiring cooperatives, uh, you know, is a way to increase alternative ways. Right now we have a colonial model where people who already have more money than they need really own the entire table. And there have to be ways for collectives and cooperatives and other groups of people to access the financial resources they need to make a different future for themselves and their children. It is not good enough for people to just exist. And I agree with you, Jeanette, the the amount of money that we spend on prisons is criminal. Ah, ha, ha. You know, um, it is it is a huge debt. You know, it's a huge drain on our society. That should be every public school and every prison. We should be thinking about how do we take a prison? The real outcome of a prison should be its economic output, not on prison behavior and lack of recidivism. And the same with public schools. Uh, we look at universities and we want to we want to measure universities in how they put output economic activity. We should be looking at elementary schools and middle schools the same way. What is the economic potential? And instead of wondering whether a child has been left behind, uh, we want to be able to say, we've been able to improve this family's wealth. You know, we should be helping middle school kids. I've worked with middle school kids. They're smart. They already have some idea of what they want to do. We adults just don't get out of their way and society doesn't make it possible uh, a lot of times for them to follow their dreams. But A lot of younger people know what they could and should do, and they have an idea for a venture. They just need us to show up with some resources and some connections to make it happen. Well, Doug is right about that. Education is uh, is key. And when you look at the Biden plan here, what he's really outlining is the macro version. And we here are, are talking about the micro level because... We're grassroots people. <laughs> Forward Radio is a grassroots radio oh, station. So we believe in building from the grassroots up. So how do we get the Biden's plan, which is largely macro level, to the micro level and meeting those human needs, which he does mention in the Biden plan, that we need to be giving back to our communities of color who in fact built the United, the United States and built the infrastructure, the energy and communication infrastructure and transportation infrastructure in this country. And how, do, how does his plan 
a micro level plan? How, how do we get that down to our level, Justin? Yeah, I know. I think that's a really important point. And it, and it brings up something I've been wanting to say, which is that, um, you know, we have to remind listeners that uh, political organizing didn't end on election day. In fact, it needs to begin on election day. And now that we know that Biden is in office, we can use that momentum, I think, to create this real kind of grassroots change that Jeanette is speaking to. But it's not going to happen if we just let the moneyed interest and corporations take over the Biden administration, much like they captured the Obama administration. I'm not saying this is going to be easy. I'm saying the grassroots are going to need to organize to force Biden to do the right thing. Go ahead, Doug. Let's just look at data. Republicans believe that there is a climate emergency. So if you want right. to issue, this is the only issue that Democrats and Republicans right now actually agree is a national priority. So we should be thinking about how do we language this to whatever political party, whether you're the Green Party or you're a Libertarian, you're a Democrat, you're a Republican. What is it that we say to people that says, let's be the solution, let's be the cutting edge. If there's an edge and there's a future that we want to be prepared for, how can we put Kentucky as a state which is so connected, you know, we're one of the few states that touches all these other states. So we have a lot of ability to partner with other people. We're on a huge waterway. We're centrally located. So it's not just packages that come in and out of Louisville, it's big ideas. You know, so let's fly some big ideas and have them come and land in and out of Kentucky and think about how do we take these big ideas, uh, if you're gonna put $2 trillion into climate change, which I think is what one of the, of the figures I heard in the Obama plan, what does that look like? What does a million dollars or $20 million or $100 million out of that giant amount look like in places like Covington, Kentucky, in places like Lexington or Ashland uh, or Corbin or Louisville or Mayfield? And really be able to, to tease out in these areas that really have been underserved for a long time. We know that it's not just Native people and Black people who've had things stolen from them. You know, go and look at KFTC's work with coal miners in Eastern Kentucky. And you see yeah. very quickly that there's been a lot of poverty that is, uh, as, as coal was extracted from the ground, there was no effort to really build wealth in the communities. They, they took what they needed and they left, and they left people without anything to replace it. And so part of that, that infrastructure plan, you know, what is it that we can put in place that allows people to accrue wealth and build us a sustainable future that protects the climate as much as we can. You know, we're, we're in a precarious place, but we need to think about, you know, not only what we need to do today, but how are we gonna prevent things that we don't wanna happen 50 years from now? How do we plan for a future 50 years from now? We, we can do that here, I think. Well, let me respond to that. And see, to me, the Biden plan, it's green capitalism. It's about, uh, you know, a lot of it, I think, is smoke and mirrors. It's about, you know, get, subsidizing. If you subsidize electric cars, then Elon Musk is happy with, about oh, that. Yeah. And, you yeah. know, if you subsidize solar panels, there are commercial interests that get into that action. The mining interests all over the world are frothing at the mouth, wanting solar and wind and, and electric cars to be 
uh, subsidized and you know the the uh, talk about you know carbon sequestration or or a smart grid all this stuff takes a lot of electronics technology that means a a, a boon for uh, you know slave labor uh, it means a lot of water pollution if the the amount of lithium the need for lithium is supposed to go up by a factor of 14 in the next 10 years so obviously the people of bolivia which has half of the world's lithium obviously the people of bolivia are not care, care, uh, capable of governing themselves so we have to you know come in there with a coup and de decimate their democracy thankfully the people of bolivia just got their democracy back but you know elon musk took partial credit for uh, creating a coup in late uh, 2019 i'm just saying that uh, you know it, it, it show me uh, show me a plan that said that says just say no to slave labor Show me a plan that says we're going to, that says the people of Bolivia control the resources of Bolivia and we buy lithium from them at market prices. Uh, so, you know, we're set up, we're, if Biden followed through with all this, we would be subsidizing all the wrong things and we would be neglecting like the low hanging fruit is stop deforestation right now. The forests and the grasslands of the world could be absorbing a lot of carbon. Instead, they wanna make this huge gadget to uh, yeah. capture carbon and store the carbon under the ground from which it will probably escape. Um, and and so, so deforestation, and regenerative agriculture, that's the low, those are two things that are really, really, really low hanging fruit that is neglected in this plan. No, yeah, you're so right, hard to point out that um, some of these solutions that have very little to do with capitalism uh, are, are, are definitely getting a backseat in the Biden plan. But like I said, I think if we politically organize, we can maybe move them to the front of the agenda. Uh, the word deforestation is mentioned in the climate, in the Biden plan, and the word tree is mentioned a couple times. <laughs> oh my God. Um, but it's not nearly front and center like it should be. Uh, we we saw to, a tree once. <laughs> yeah, we need to focus on halting the harm. You know, trees, 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 trees. Yes, Louisville has really got some great plans on trees. And Doug was talking about other areas that are marginalized, not just the West End. But I want to, uh, for our listeners out here, talk about an area uh, in our community. You know, here in the Highlands where I live, it's very green, very beautiful, lots of large trees nice parks, et cetera, et cetera. So as you drive down Bardstown Road, as soon as you go under the underpass of the Watterson Expressway, also known as 264, you go into Butchel in that area. And then once again, it looks like somebody dropped a bomb. <laughs> a corporate bomb. <laughs> a fast food bomb. There are no trees. A big box bomb. Uh, yes, there are no trees. Uh, Don't check, you know trees check, get in the way? Trees get in the way. Like marginalized building, uh, you know, businesses, check cashing, your chiropractory yeah. slash drug. It's uh, <laughs> there, okay. And uh, well, you know, are our best all friends. these really parasite type of businesses. So as you come back from Butchel and you come the other way towards the Highlands, 
It's what I call the Oz effect. In the movie, The Wizard of Oz, okay? It's in black and white. <laughs> the highlands, it suddenly is green and colorful, okay? So we have these types of communities all over in Louisville, not just in the West End, uh, but we have marginalized communities uh, there as well. And it seems to me that not only these marginalized types of businesses, check cashing business, pawn shops, et cetera, et cetera, but if you look at a community that has no trees, you're probably looking at a marginalized community. And so trees are a huge buzzword and what Hart, all of us were talking about deforestation we we're planting tons of trees in the green Oz area, but hardly any trees in the black and white areas where, you know, have you noticed that? <laughs> have you noticed? Mm-hmm. So um, what's, what's up with that? And somebody has to pay those uh, lawn mowing contractors to mow down every seedling that pops up in your, <laughs> in your perfect lawn. <laughs> Something is going on there, but the corporate interest that uh, the Biden plan is so obviously playing to, quite frankly, it's up to all of us. It's up to our listeners. It's up to our advocates in our community to insist and resist. It's up to all of us to say, we Say you want, want a revolution. From the grassroots planning for environmental justice. Okay. Uh, we have to demand that. That's not going to be given to us. We have to demand that from the powers that be. Because they don't see that... Uh, it's worth planting a tree in a marginalized community. And we have to say to them that you can't have this so-called green plan that leaves out the very essence of our communities. Yeah, the people who need it most. Doug, what were you gonna say? Well, um, I think the other piece of this, too, is, you know, there are a lot of things that are called green that aren't. Mm -hmm. So as we move towards zero emissions and we work toward labeling green facilities, you know, some of the policy things we can work on from either at the state uh, level or at at the municipal level is to really define what those things mean and then work on convincing Metro Louisville Metro Lexington and some of the other cities in our state to go to the federal government and say, we wanna be contractors. We wanna get this money and we want to to be partners with the federal government in how this money comes out. Right now, as you know, um, in defense contracts and other contracts, there are super leeches and super lampreys. Their only job is (laughs) money flows by, their job is to suck as much of it as they can their way. Can you say economic development? As the Sierra Club type people that we might be, 
we need to think that same way. We need to be thinking how to, when the money goes by, instead of being protest organizations, we need to be productive organizations. There's nothing wrong with protesting. There's nothing wrong with sending newsletters out that tell people how bad things are. But if all we do is describe the scale and scope of the problem and complain about who's in power and how people aren't green enough, you know, Buckman, Buckminster Fuller uh, has this quote about, you know, it's not enough just to critique. You have to build the world you want to see. It really is up to us. The same type of energy that people are putting into Breonna Taylor protests and trying to create a different vision of policing in Louisville is the same type of energy that needs to be put into climate change. And we need to be able to say there are bullies, there are big interests out there that don't have our best interests at heart. And we need to, to get that, we need to create that power within us. I don't think that we demand the power from the powerful. I think that we create a different center of power. And a lot Ooh, of it comes from government. Uh-huh. You know, my experience, I've been doing this advocacy community organizing work. When anybody wants to get something done in Louisville, they think, oh, well, what I want to do is go lobby Metro Council or go lobby Jefferson County. What if we turn the telescope around and said, I'm going to start with the smallest city in Louisville. I'm going to start with the city of Kingsley. I'm mm. going to start with the, the city of West Butchell. I'm going to start with the city of Lindview. I'm going to Shively. start with the city of Audubon Park. Or you could mm. go to a six-class city like Shively or St. Matthews. Uh, go look at the ballots in the in the spring when the primaries are and look how many seats are not even filled in all these cities and towns. You live somewhere where your commitment to this advocacy work can make a change. And there are lots of resources out there. There are grants that you can get. There are educational opportunities that you can pursue that can improve the quality of life on smaller parcels of government. And hopefully those are the things that are scalable. So lots of universities and think tanks and other groups are looking for big ideas that start small and are scalable. And I I think that we, as people in Kentucky, we're smart people. We know how to invite people here to parties. So it doesn't have to to be mean and green. We can have a freaking great time. You know, (laughs) we can invite people to party with us as we bring people into the future. Uh, The other big thing I think in this movement is white people a lot of times just need to shut up. White men in particular need to shut up. There are beautiful women of color, young women of color, uh, LGBTQ people, native people, foreign born people who are already leading the way. A lot of the way that white people can use their privilege in this work is to give their money, uh, lend their credibility, make connections with people, but let other people lead the way. One of the hardest things for us as white people to do most of the time is to let people, if there are already enough leaders, we don't need another one. We need people to lead and following. And many times the, the big work is, is supporting people who have that panache and that energy. And I think about people like Charles uh, Booker, you know, yeah. he, he's the right person in a lot of ways. And what he needed earlier on was a lot of white people to, to say, hey, this guy's the real deal. You know, he has the, the values, he has the perspective, he has community support, he can listen. Some of the big work we can do right now to affect climate change 50 years from now is to start fielding candidates who can run for office and grow into these national offices. Who's going to take John Yarmouth's place? He's not the youngest congressman. Mm. Uh, One of the most progressive. 
Well, yeah, I, I think, Doug, going back to what you were saying earlier about education, we are really sitting in a seat that we think everyone understands climate change and understands their environment, when in fact, we have many young people that have no idea where uh, potatoes are grown. <laughs> they don't know they grow underground. Okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm serious about this. There are many people that, ha that have no idea about their natural environment around them. So we have to start, you cannot value and think about climate change when you don't really understand what that means and how that affects you. So let me and just so throw I, out another idea along that same train. So kids may not know about sustainability. Do you know who in our community actually knows more about sustainability than anybody else? And you'd be shocked. The business community. Oh, 25 yeah. years ago, when a business wrote a sustainability plan, they were talking about how we stay in business. Every business I know of any size doesn't just have a sustainability plan. They have an environmental sustainability plan. Wait, who One were of you the talking big about? opportunities for us in Louisville is to be a leader in educating businesses about the the sustainability opportunities. I'm sorry, folks, we're all out of time. I hate to cut off this really great community conversation here on Truth to Power, but it has been something else. We've been critiquing the uh, Joe Biden's climate action plan, which you can uh, learn about yourself and critique yourself at joebiden.com slash climate dash plan here on Forward Radio. Uh, my name is Justin Mogg, host of Sustainability Now. Uh, I've been joined in the virtual studio by Doug Lowry from Sowers of Justice Network, Jeanette Westbrook, uh, former host of The Human Factor, and Hart Hagen, host of The Climate Report. Thank you all for joining us tonight. Thank you. Thank you, Hart. Thank you, Doug. Pleasure. Bye, everyone. Thanks,